Hello, friends. Welcome to another edition of the Encounter of Mercy podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host, Father A.J. Gedney, um, and I'm joined today by uh, Father Andy Boyd. Andy, how are you this fine day? I'm doing pretty good. It's wonderful. You know, we had a very busy weekend. Uh, it's nice. You know, this year with Christmas being on a Sunday, it's not like it's uh, adding an extra Sunday into the week, which is kind of nice. But um, next year, this upcoming year of 2023, that's that's going to be fun. Uh, but it's, so it's a wonderful Christmas Wednesday, uh, you know, celebrating this wonderful Wednesday after Christmas. It's a little chilly. It was a little chilly this past weekend, a little snowy. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, I, I do love this time of year. So I'm always very happy to be celebrating Christmas. How was your Christmas? It was good. Um, yeah, first Christmas as a priest. Uh, yeah. I, and again, I think I heard uh, some priests talk about how you don't really come into your own preaching wise until you're a priest. Because again, now, you know, yeah. you know, you and I were deacons for, you know, a year, year and a half or so before you're into priest, you get to preach. So I've preached Christmas before. Um, but it's funny because I found that homily from the uh, last year and it just like, it didn't spark anything. I feel like I, I can do, I can do better than that. Right. Um, and I think it just gives more meaning to preaching when you can do the whole uh, liturgy, right? You say the mass because um, the homily is the part where uh, the, you dive deeper into the mystery. It links to the liturgy of the word with the liturgy of the Eucharist. And so it's awesome being able to also celebrate the liturgy of the Eucharist. Um, I had a baptism on Christmas day. That's awesome. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, my pastor asked me to do it and I was thinking, oh great, something else to do. I'll be tired. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, what a great day for it. Um, so my pastor said, it's, it's just because family will be in town for Christmas anyways. And I was like, dude, what a great day for a baptism. You know, we celebrate Christ's birth. And then uh, you know, as well as I do, the rite of baptism is full of language about spiritual birth, right? You know, uh, giving thanks for the birth of this child into the world by the parents. But then we thank Christ for giving us new birth, you know, in the waters of baptism. Um, so yeah, exactly. it, was, it was really neat. That's awesome. That's really cool. I've only ever, uh, I've never done a baptism on Christmas. I did baptism on Easter outside of the Easter vigil, which was kind of cool, but that that's a really awesome be able to have that connection there. And, and it's going to be a beautiful day for it's a, it was a beautiful day for it, obviously because of all the beautiful decorations in church. Cause I remember taking pictures after the uh, baptism on Easter Sunday, a few years ago, and what it was just a wonderful day. So I, yeah, I, yeah that's an awesome experience to be able to have. Well, you know, when we're going through this time of year, it's uh these these days after Christmas, of course, we were talking in our Advent episode last week that these days of Christmas continue for eight full days. But I think there's a few interesting feast days that we celebrate right now this week. Uh, you know, one that we celebrated yesterday when we celebrate uh, on Monday and one today and a few others throughout this week. But you were telling me about the awesome connections that we have with these. So tell me a little bit more about what's going what you're thinking about what's going on there. Yeah, so um, uh, as we celebrated on Monday and Tuesday of this week, um, so we had Sunday was Christmas. Uh, on the 26th, we celebrate the Feast of St. Stephen, uh, who is the proto-martyr um, or the first martyr of the church. Um, on Tuesday, we had the uh, Feast of St. John the Evangelist. Um, and then today on Wednesday, we have um, celebration of the Holy Innocents, um, who were the, uh, the male children um, in Jerusalem uh, who were killed by King Herod in attempts right. to um, take out the Christ child who um, he felt threatened by because they said the, the king has arrived and he felt threatened by that. Um, and so without knowing the child's identity, um, of course, because the wise men did not go back that way to tell him, uh, he decided to kill all the male children um, 
I think was it the, was it the firstborns? Um, yes. Under uh, two years and on, under, because he figured that would be the, around the age that Christ would be. Um, and it's right. for that reason why uh, Joseph was told in a dream uh, to head to Egypt and stay there until he was uh, told otherwise by another dream with an angel. Um, but all these feasts uh, are they're types of martyrs, right? So we have uh, a martyrdom of intention, uh, wanting to be martyred, and a martyrdom of deed in which it's actually carried out um, and their lives are taken from them uh, for the sake of Christ. So we have St. Stephen. Uh, he was a martyr in intention and in deed. Right, uh, he, he he desired it. He did not um, he did not thwart his captors, um, but instead forgave them. And then he's end up he ended up being martyred. Uh, Saint John the Evangelist was a martyr in intention, right? Like all the apostles, um, but I believe they tried to boil him in in oil, and it yeah. didn't end up killing him. Yeah. So I think I think after that maybe uh, I think he went to the island of Patmos around the year ninety and had that revelation, and then that's the last book of the Bible that he wrote there. Um, so he was a martyr of intention, but not in deed. And then we have the we have the flip of that on Wednesday with the Holy Innocents is um, of course they were too young to desire martyrdom so they weren't martyrs of intention but they were martyrs of deed um, that they were uh, killed for the sake of Christ. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good one, good way to point that out, and I, I think that's a wonderful way to start thinking about these three days. You know, for a few that we've celebrated already, and then today this this interesting feast of the Holy Martyrs because. Uh, the it's it's one that I think we often forget about because it's in the middle of the week after Christmas. Not too many people are going to church at this point because uh, they just went to church sometimes two days in a row, like next this upcoming year. Or uh, it's hey, it's a Sunday, so we don't have to go to church again. Um, so it, this Holy Innocence Day is a really important feast day, I think too. But of course, Stephen, we all know about Saint Stephen um, with his uh, proclamation in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, so you were saying, too, as well, there's kind of like an image of the Christ in St. Stephen when he's doing his proclamation in the Acts of the Apostles, whereas St. Um, you know, St. Luke's Gospel, uh, he kind of leaves some of those things up, but he kind of attributes it to the connection with, uh, with Stephen sacrificing himself for Christ. Yeah, I think the way um, it was explained to us at St. Vincent um, by the uh, professor who taught Luke Acts um, is that the Gospel of Luke and actually the Apostles were written by um, St. Luke the Evangelist. And instead of being seen as kind of two different things, because again, they're, they're separated by John's Gospel um, in the right. current Bible, is there, they should be thought of two volumes of the same work, right? right. So we have Christ's life and then the the, the infant newborn church, right? And, um, the start of the church, uh, the church of Christ founded. Um, and so because of that, if you look at the crucifixion narratives in the other Gospels, uh, Luke will leave out um, a couple things, right? So I think he leaves out, you know, um, Christ crying from the cross, Father, you know, into your hands I come in my spirit, right, when he passes away. Um, and also uh, the line where he says, you know, to his uh, those who tortured him and put him on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know not what they do. So Luke doesn't put those there, but he puts the, both of those things in Stephen's death. Um, right. Right, to kind of uh, kind of tie things together. Um, and I think it goes to show that because Stephen was the first martyr, the first person who willfully um, handed his life over for the sake of uh, persecution and for the sake of Christ, is it's going to link Christ's crucifixion with this. Um, and that's why, uh, you know, liturgically in the church, martyrs are uh, high, you know, they're, they're high feast days. Uh, right, whenever the right. saints are mentioned, you know, you know, you mentioned the martyrs first. Um, and that's because that their lives, and especially their deaths, um, they shared intimately with Christ's life and death. Um, you know, Christ being that prime example 
and that the saints throughout all of church history have desired that, um, you know, that they also um, give that testament. And that's what, what the word martyr means in Greek, right? It means a witness. Um, right, right. But yeah, but I, I just thought it was interesting when I learned that, um, you know, in case there's any doubt in the reader's mind is, no, like, wow, these words seem familiar that Stephen is saying, right? He forgives his captors. Um, he says, you know, Lord, I, you know, receive Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, right? You know, speaking to a Christ, um, that those are just a mere Christ's crucifixion. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, and it's, it's also the call for each of us, too, to be able to try to uh, mimic the words of Christ, to be able to say, you know, in the moments of persecution, granted, we might not be being crucified, but the moments of persecution from others because of our faith, because of our following after Jesus, that we can say, Lord, they do not know what they're doing, and try to let go of any frustration or anger that might be coming after us. Um, so these are good feast days to have right after Christmas. The the joy that we just celebrated with the birth of Christ, and also, you know, when we think about it, um, not just after Christmas as well, but Christmas Day itself, you know, we celebrate this great joy of Christ, but we celebrate it within the context of the sacrifice of the Mass, which is, you know, takes place during the uh, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and then, of course, Easter. So what a beautiful way for us to celebrate that um, you know, often someone might say, well, that's really weird because when it comes to uh, all this fun that comes with, you know, having the situation of thinking about the death of Christ on Christmas Day, but that is the most important. That's the most important part of everything. You know, he had to come to earth to save us as a child. Yes, he came, but then his important role was to come and to die for us. And so this connection to our own death. And like you were saying a few moments ago about how you baptize that baby on Christmas day, what a wonderful connection there because of our own death to self, our own death to this world so that we can be raised up to new life and it on Christmas day of all days, how beautiful. So yeah, I, it's a wonderful few days here. Tell me a little bit about the Feast of the Holy Innocents, because like I said, we seem to forget that day and, and almost lose that day. And it's it's an important one for us as we claim to be pro-life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's I think like you kind of touched on it's, a, um, you know, these are these are sobering feasts, but um, we should see them as examples and rejoice because, um, you know, all the martyrs are in heaven, right? Right. You know, it, you know, it seemed like. Um, you know, a, a, a ticket straight to heaven, that if you are willing to give your earthly life for God, um, that you will be rewarded in the next life. Um, so I think to keep that in mind, even though the realities of some of these uh, saints' deaths can be um, kind of saddening, is always to remember that uh, they're being intensely rewarded uh, in heaven. But yeah, the holy innocence, um, I'm glad you brought up that pro-life aspect, because I think, um, I always think about um, maybe all those infants, uh, both in and outside of their mother's wombs who have died uh, because of abortion. Right. Um, uh, or uh, maybe even especially those babies who are uh, miscarried too. Um, and like right. all those are fairly sad realities. Um, and I know last episode you mentioned your, your mom is a midwife. Um, right. And in my talking with her, she's, you know, told us some of those, um, you know, really sad stories. Um, right. I think uh, especially one that I was touched by, she said, you know, she's been with mothers who have who are giving birth. And they are crying, not because yeah. of the pain or the joy, but out of sadness because they've aborted a previous child. Right. Um, and there's that intense guilt. And I think right. your mom said, uh, you know, she tells them, like, name that child and then pray for yes. that child. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, you have to. You have mm -hmm. to. Yeah, so I think um, this is a good day just just to pray for all those lives have been that have been lost, um, but to know that um, when the innocent die, right? So um, before the age of reason, right? The church teaches about was it, five or six years old. Um, you know, children cannot sin, right? They don't have the intellect to choose or to willingly turn away from God and do evil. Is that right. when they pass away? Um, I think they're like our Lord. Um, I guess. I can't remember what class it was at seminary, but we were taught that if you ever have to preach um, a funeral or, or, or counsel a couple who's had a miscarriage or have had a young child die is because if they've been, they've been baptized and they're without sin, then, hey, you're going to heaven, right? There's no purgatory, right. right? You haven't merited uh, any temporal punishment due to sin if you can't sin. Right. Um, so I think, um, uh, and I've, I've had to tell people that is, you know, your child is a lot like more like Christ than you and I are or will be. Yeah. Because, because Christ never sinned. Um, also, you know, your child, uh, although you know, I, I can't imagine how tragic it is to lose a child, especially before it's born or, or in, his, in the child's infancy or childhood, but to know that um, you, know, you now have a soul in heaven who is praying for you. That's right. And what a beautiful uh, thing to have in, in that very, very sad and difficult time. Um, but it is a wonderful thing to be able to have... Um, you know, that connection to the, the, the suffering, but the joy that then comes with this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in the, all of these difficult times, or all these uh, wonderful, joyful times, it also can be a difficult time for many people. Um, Christmas can be difficult when we think about our, all of our loved ones that we've lost, um, for all of those who are suffering or without a home or without a family. But, you know, honestly, we also have a beautiful time now to pray with them and for those people. Um, you know, we say that when someone dies, they truly never die until their memory is completely forgotten. And also the fact that when someone dies, we have the opportunity to greet them again at the altar. I think often of St. Monica, who said to her son, uh, Augustine, when she was dying, because he's trying to get her home to bury her. And she said, I don't care where, care where you bury me. Just bury me. I will see you again at the altar. And that was such an important thing for her, uh, the woman who suffered so greatly for her son's conversion, and then to see her son become a bishop. And then when he dies, that she, whenever he celebrates the Mass, she will be there with him. Why? Because we have this faith in Christ Jesus. We have this faith in his mercy and his greatness that uh, we can be together at the altar. And another wonderful reason to celebrate the mass, especially all of these days during and after Christmas, because, um, you know, we are together with our loved ones who we lost. We are together with those who maybe have walked away from us. We continue to pray for them and be with them because all is not lost in the arms of the Lord. So, uh, you know, we have this celebration of the holy innocence, those who gave their lives, maybe unwillingly in a sense, but at the same time, they are a witness to us of the mercy and the goodness of God because now they are with him forever. Um, in the evil and the atrocities of the world, God still can do some amazing things. Yep. So what's what's your favorite part about this time after Christmas? It could be anything. I just think it's the um, high density of feast days. Yeah. Right. Um, it, it, the Christmas season is marked by it. So we have the nativity. Um, we have these three that we mentioned today. Uh, we have the Holy Family, um, which is yeah. later this week. 
we have Mary, the Mother of God, which is on January 1st. Uh, we have the Epiphany. Um, and then sometime in February, to kind of mark out the season, we have the uh, Baptism of the Lord. So I think it, um, that's just really neat. I think for me, especially having, um, you know, being ordained a priest earlier this year and preaching a lot of ordinary time. Yes. Um, I'll just kind of focus on the gospel maybe, or, or, or if I feel like pressure need to hear something, I'll, I'll kind of focus on that. But it is kind of neat to focus on individual aspects or individual parts. Um, and I think a couple of years ago, we had a podcast on church seasons um, and yes. why there's seasons. And I mentioned that um, it's so we can dive deep in, deeper into the mysteries. Because like every day, especially in the mass, we celebrate Christ's passion, death, resurrection, uh, the incarnation, his ascension, all the, the whole Paschal mystery and all the mysteries of Christ. But we have seasons so we can dive into those things. Um, right. So again, like we, you and I could preach on the Holy Family whenever we wanted, but it's I just it's really neat when there's a specific day for that to celebrate the Holy Family, um, or to preach on the uh, you know the uh, Mary's motherhood of God. Yeah, yeah, that's that is so true. Yeah, I'd have to agree that you know the, these days after Christmas, while they could be um, stressful, you know, especially because there's still so much going on, you know. But I think there's just such a beauty in this being able to sit with the Lord in these moments, especially after his birth. The One of the other holy days that, like you mentioned, these last two holy days uh, that come up here this year, the solemnity of the Holy Family um, doesn't really get to be celebrated all that much just because of the day of the week that it falls on. It falls on Friday. Uh, but we have this beautiful celebration of Holy Family. And then we have the celebration of Mary, Mother of God. And these two celebrations, I think, also are important because, you know, as we go through this time, what is it that we do? We celebrate this time with family. And so to have this celebration of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, we have this opportunity to see the perfect family. Now, I'm sure many people out there are saying, well, Father, that's impossible that, you know, I can't really relate to that because my family's not perfect. Well, yeah. We, we have many people whose families aren't perfect. I know many people whose lives are not perfect in their family life, but that doesn't change the fact that we all can celebrate Jesus, Mary, and Joseph as the perfect image of a family. Mm -hmm. And we have that, uh, and we, yeah, maybe we can't actually relate to it, but the importance of that connection to the perfect image of a family gives us some ability to connect to what God wants for us in that immensity of heaven is that we will be a part of that perfect family in a special way when we're in heaven. But right now we have the ability to be a part of that family in a special way. Yeah. I was thinking, um, it's funny, you know, at least in my brain, I'm always thinking about what am I going to preach about? But I was thinking like, what can I preach about during the Holy Innocence or what can I preach about in Holy Family is I think um, yeah. you kind of took the words out of my mouth as far as the Holy Family is um, to be that model of a perfect family. And then especially for those of us who grew up in disjointed or broken families is that we have a spot in the Holy Family, right? Christ calls us his brother, right? We, we are adopted sons of God, uh, you know, sons and daughters. And then um, I think of Our Lady's words when she appeared to Juan Diego, right? She says, am I not your mother? Right. So if Mary, if Mary is our mother and if Christ is our brother, um, that means we are part of the Holy Family, um, so, you know, I always encourage, I would encourage people to insert yourself in there. Um, and I think I've, I've heard that before is, you know, say, oh, Mary's your mother or, you know, you know, God, you know, is, is your father, or, you know, have, take on Joseph as your father. And those people go, well, like I didn't have one of those growing up. So I don't know what that's like. Right. Cause I, that, that, that's always the thing is you give an example Absolutely. in a homily and you don't want to exclude people. It's like, why, 
can't apply apply myself to this. You know, I my family looks like this or this. But the thing is, if you had a good example of mother and father, like, you know, you can kind of think of Mary and Joseph or, or God in that way. But even if you didn't have a good family growing up, um, you can still insert yourself in there. And that or like exactly. God can be that perfect father for you, or Mary can be that perfect mother for you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it doesn't mean um someone might say, well, then they feel excluded. Like I get that. But at the same time, as someone who comes from sort of a broken family, I also know how important it is for me to have that image of the Holy family to sustain me, to teach me how to be a good father, to teach me how to be a good uh, role model for the younger and the olders in the community, in the parish, to teach me how to be a good son, you know, just because we have a bad family life doesn't mean that we can't change it and doesn't mean that we can't find in Jesus, Mary, and Joseph role models on how to be a good mother, a, a good uh, father, a good son, a good brother, a good child, all of these things. So, yeah, I think that's uh, important for a lot of us to remember in these moments is that it, it, there is something there for each and every one of us. Mm-hmm. Um. I think uh, whenever I celebrate Mary, the mother of God, because right, that's exactly a week after Christmas, um, I think what a perfect day for this. Cause like, you know, m- you know, mothers are heroes and what a great time to put it within a week of her son's birth. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just think of more of the stories your mom has told um, yeah. about childbirth and about child rearing and, and, the, and the mothers and all the biology and stuff. Cause I think what a great time to celebrate it. Like it could be any time during the year, but they chose the first day of the year the new calendar yep. year and also within a week of her giving birth. Um, yes. cause I know those it was for several weeks for, uh, for both parents, but especially mothers, it can be a hard time. Um, yep. you know, you're not, you know, uh, you know, if the, if the baby is sick, that can cause a lot of stress or if it's still in the hospital, maybe it's in the NICU. Um, then especially once it's home is, you know, you're losing a lot of sleep. You have to feed the baby a lot. Um, you know, off, uh, very often. So I know that can be a stressful time for parents. So I think it's a wonderful time to, um, celebrate Mary and also to celebrate uh, motherhood in general, I think. Um, and yeah. to recognize that there's different types of motherhood. I mean, just like you and I aren't biological fathers, we're spiritual fathers, right? We have spiritual yes. children. Um, I, think yes. I think especially with those we've, we've baptized. Um, but I think uh, just like in our in our lives, we can have other father figures other than our own, uh, own fathers. So I think on Mary, the mother of God, we celebrate different types of motherhood. Um, yeah. You know, and we can remember our mothers that they passed away, um, and especially pray for them. And it reveals to us, again, a promise that God has made us from the very beginning. Because it's uh, in the book of Genesis, when God is speaking about about Adam and Eve when they are in the Garden of Eden, and they have taken on to them the knowledge of good and evil, he says, we have to remove them before they become like us in all things, including um, to be eternal. And so it has to become that gift. And so, uh, you know, God wants us to be like him. And it was made very clear in our creation that he has made us in his image and his likeness. And so to have us be like him means we at some point will have to be eternal. And for us to be like him means that at some point we are going to have the true, complete knowledge of good and evil without anything obscuring it. And so uh, that shows 
to us through God, making Mary his mother and our mother another connection to his eternal plan. Because he said from the very beginning that we are to be like him for all eternity. And now he is following through with his promise to us to make us like him for all eternity through our blessed mother. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, if I can make a really good transition uh, from yes. you talking about eternity uh, and things like that, I think we can circle back around to uh, St. John the Evangelist, yes. right? the, um, that middle feast, um, just because he talks about the, the eternal word, right? And that beautiful prologue, um, that, that beautiful, um, which would have been considered Greek poetry, right? At the time, uh, uh, this beautiful exposition of who the word is, you know, the word is God, the word was with God, through whom all things were made. Um, I think one of my, and again, again, just for our listeners to remind them, um, St. John's gospel is the most unique, right? Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic, comes from a Greek word meaning to see together. Um, And they share common material. But John's gospel um, is the least um, like the other ones. So we have uh, some stories are omitted, some, uh, there's some new stories in there. Um, But I think one of my favorite things I heard, which is from a priest um, in my diocese, is he preached on this day, he said, um, it's interesting that when Peter, the Apostle Peter and St. John, right, the Apostle and Evangelist, when they run to the tomb, right, when they know Jesus, the tomb's empty, right, on Easter, um, it says the uh, the beloved Apostle ran faster, but he doesn't go into the tomb, he stops. He right. So Peter catches up, who's probably older than he is, he goes in first. And I saw this as, or he saw this as Peter represents the authority of the church, right? He's the first Pope. Right. Christ gives him precedence among, among the Apostles even. But then St. John is the spiritual side of the church, right? Because this gospel right. is definitely the most spiritual um, or uh, you know, esoteric or a little more um, you know, heavenly, so to say. But yes. it's that the spiritual side got there first, but he waited for the authority. So I yes. think I'm always reminded of when there's um, like Marian apparitions, is there some time for the church to do her research and then to approve it with authority? Um, Absolutely. So so I always think about this when, you know, if I meet people who are Christians, but don't believe in the papacy um, or that Peter had a special spot among the apostles is, um, you know, even as spiritual as we're called to be, we're also called to be obedient, right? Right. Um, you know, uh, you and I are obedient in a special way to our bishops who, whom yes. we promised respect and obedience at ordinations. And then even um, in the ordination of a bishop or his consecration, uh, right. he makes a pledge to be obedient to the Holy Father. So yes. this is like unbroken line. So I just remember hearing that homily and I thought that's so interesting um, that John waited, I think, almost out of respect for Peter. Um, so I like, I like using that lens whenever I read um, John's gospel. Um, and so he yeah. also wrote uh, Revelation, right? The last book of the Bible. And then he wrote uh, three letters. So he's uh, pretty, uh, I think after St. Paul, he's a pretty prolific writer. Yeah. Yeah. And his writings are so important to our entire understanding of the faith. And, uh, you know, Praise be to God for that, because through his constant revelation to us, through his understanding of the words of God that he then put in writing, we now have some amazing, amazing things to know about our God. Uh, And without the Gospel of John, we wouldn't have that most famous line of John 3.16 that everybody wants to hold up at sports events and things like that. But I really like the way... Uh, that priest that you said said in his homily, how he connected John to 
the spiritual and Peter to the authoritative, they have to be together. You can't mm, have one mm, without yeah. the other too. You know, and I'm grateful to hear that because sometimes I think even in our own spiritual lives, even as a priest, sometimes you're like, come on, the spirit is the spirit's here, the spirit's ready. And the church is like, well, no, no, wait a minute. Let's make sure because it's so often that our own hearts can be, um, you know, manipulated in ways that we don't realize. And we have to be very careful about that. You know, we have to make sure that even though our heart might be in it, it still might not be the right thing for us. And we need to make sure that we're paying attention to where it is that God is calling us to. And that's where obedience really has to come into play because it's so much easier to say, forget it. I'm doing what I want. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the priest that I want to be. And that might not be where God and the church needs us. Yeah, I'm reminded of um, the great Carmelite mystic in the Middle Ages, St. Teresa of Avila. Right? So yes. she's receiving locutions, visions, and being spoken to by Christ. Um, but when she was when she, when Christ would ask her to just do something, she would go ask her priest spiritual director first. Yes. And if he said no, she wouldn't do it. But she goes on to write that she told Christ this and that he was pleased in that. So Absolutely. How, how wild is that? You're having a vision of Christ, the second person of the Trinity. He asks you to do something but that you go and check with your your earthly human priest spiritual director first. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's wild and that he was pleased by that. So again, having both sides work in unison, but also knowing that how important obedience is. Um, yes. I think to tie this all back to that feast of Christmas is um, Christ learned, you know, he was obedient, right? To, um, to Mary and especially to Joseph. Um, I think I read once that, and this is just a theory, right? It's not um, right, doctrine right. or dogma, but it said uh, even if Christ knew a better way of doing things than what St. Joseph told him, he still obeyed St. Joseph. Right. Um, and again, we're reminded that in John's gospel, right? He's the thing, th Christ is, it is through him that all things were created. And as we say in the creed every Sunday. So Christ is obeying Joseph, who is a created being. So that means Christ participated in the creation of St. Joseph, but yet the creator is obeying the created. So like, you know, what an act of humility and to show us how important, how important obedience is uh, to yeah. your point, you know, Oh, I want to, Oh, I'm going to, I'm getting inspired by the spirit. I'm going to do this for my church. Maybe you ask your bishop and he says, no, it's like, well, what do you do with that? Right. Do you just, yeah. uh, do you, uh, you know, do you uh, try to retaliate, uh, right. Or, or spurn your bishop? It's like, no, you know, in God's time, God, it is through God that authority is given, right? As Christ tells Pontius Pilate, like, you wouldn't have any authority unless God gave it to you. But it's so when we're obeying our authorities, we're obeying God. Um, yeah. And because we have the ultimate example of someone who would have, if he wasn't obedient, we wouldn't have blamed him. But right. Christ was, even growing up as a child um, and in his 30 years at Nazareth. Because what does is, what is, uh, Paul say? He was obedient to accepting death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God highly exalted him and named him the name above all every other name, so that at every so that at his name every knee must bend and head must bow, uh, and tongue and every tongue proclaim to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, and Paul himself writes that Paul, who was the one that attacked all of the Christians at first, Paul with the great conversion story writes how he was obedient, and then Paul himself had to become obedient obedient to even being beheaded, obedient to even having to die for 
his Lord and his Savior. And so it's just a wonderful thing. It, it sounds so very morbid, like we were saying last week, <laughs> about how this could all be so morbid, but yet, yet, there's such release and relief, I think, in all of these uh, wonderful things in our church at this time of the year. Right. I think that's, that's the reason why there are seasons and feasts is the church offers them up to us to think about and to ponder. Yeah. Um, now, I think that's, you know, that's one of the, like I said, it's one of the joys of the Christmas season, of course, throughout the whole year, um, celebrating the different uh, feasts of martyrs and virgins and religious and priests and doctors of the church, uh, lay people, priests, deacons, bishops, everything. Because um, it goes to show that no matter what way of life you're from, that you're called to be a saint. Um, you know, if you're married, uh, you know, if you're a priest, and even if you're not, it doesn't matter. You know, it's not just for those in religious orders to be holy and to be canonized saints. Uh, it, it's right. for all of us to strive for. And I think on that note, very Merry Christmas to everybody. And I want to remind everybody still, it's still Christmas. Mm -hmm. You know, if you took down your tree, put it back go up. get it back out. That's right. Put <laughs> it back up. We still have Christmas for another week and a half at a minimum. But if you're going to be like me and keep it up till uh, the Feast of the uh, uh, Candlemas, you know, I think you should. I think everybody should. And it's a beautiful day, that Feast of Candlemas. So just wait for February 2nd. And no, it has nothing to do with that rodent down in Punxsutawney. It has everything to uh. do with uh, with our relation to Jesus Christ. So have a very merry rest of your Christmas season. Uh, make sure you keep going to church and continue to pray for all of the holy souls in purgatory and for all of our beloved who have gone before us, Mark, with the sign of faith. And remember all of our priests, especially as they work through this very uh, long and arduous time of the year, but a joyous time of the year. So uh, thanks to all of them for sacrificing for us so that we can continue to make it to church and things like that. So Merry Christmas, AJ. Merry Christmas, listeners. And uh, until next time, God bless and take care. See you guys. Bye.